Moto America fans, it's time for another episode of Off Track with Carruthers and Bice. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you may even learn something from this unlikely pair and their special guest. The mic is yours, Paul and Sean. Well, good morning, everybody. Might be afternoon, might be evening, might be who knows when, but uh, it's morning here. And this is our weekly off-track podcast. I'm Paul Carruthers, and I'm joined, as always, by Sean Bice, who's out in Ohio. I'm in Southern California. It's a beautiful summer day. Sean, um, I'm going to start the podcast. Oh, first of all, let me tell everybody and break the news in case they want to bail now. Um, <laughs> it's just going to be Sean and I today. We, this is our We Don't Need No Stinking Debt guest episode. We do them every once in a while. We haven't done one in a long time. Uh, and it's kind of fun for us to just chat a little bit and, uh, yeah, we can talk about some different things and obviously, uh, focus on Moto America, but we've also got some other stuff I'm sure that will come up. I wanted to start the, uh, the podcast with a, an apology to Sean Bice. <laughs> I, if you, you'd, you'd have to know Sean really well and, uh, either shower with him or go to the same <laughs> beach that he goes to, or. I don't know if he goes to a beach in Ohio, but maybe the swimming pool or something. In order to in order to know that that Sean has a Yamaha logo tattoo on his left bicep, it's it's in a spot normally reserved for like mom or an anchor. Um, <laughs> and Sean has the, um, the the Yamaha logo, which is what are those called sean what what are those the uh tuning forks yeah triple tuning, tuning forks. forks yep the, 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 the tuning forks that the the yamaha uses for their for their logo obviously they they're not just a motorcycle company they also produce musical they also make use uh, musical instruments pianos guitars all that stuff so i in all my infinite wisdom I don't know where I, I mean, I didn't make it up. I mean, somebody must've told me somewhere down the line that Sean actually had the incorrect logo on his uh, tattooed on his arm and that it was the, I don't know, the music, the, the, if there was a difference between the, the music department and the motorcycle department, their logos were somewhat different. Apparently I don't. So anyway, I, I somehow being the rumor monger that I am spread that to like the, the other guys in our team not so long ago. And, and Sean corrected me and said that that actually is the correct Yamaha logo. I'm not going to argue with him, but I will tell you that I did. I, it kind of got me interested in the Yamaha logo and the history of it. So I did a little research this morning, Sean. Hey, good. And I'm sure you've researched the crap out of this, but it's kind of oh, yeah. interesting. If you look, I mean, this thing goes back to 1898. Yep. And the 1898 logo looks like a sonogram of baby in mommy's tummy yeah it's very weird right yeah. it's a little odd and then 1916 it actually starts to take on the tuning forks and it goes through a bunch of different you know alliterations of it um is that the right word yeah um, and it ends up with there are two there are two logos though there's yes. apparently there's apparently a yamaha corporation logo and a yamaha motor co logo correct so you you do have the yamaha motor co logo absolutely without you question. Are correct and therefore i apologize to you sean bice 
Well, the funny thing is, I didn't even know anything about this until I think you matter of factly mentioned it one day. And I was like, wait, what? What's and, and, you know, I, I always remember this when um, Jim Rome, uh, who most people know is a sportscaster famous for going after Jim Everett at that time on ESPN. But uh, he had he had uh, Evil Knievel on one time. And I remember he asked Evil Knievel, he, he said, basically said, why, why do you jump these bikes? Why did you try to jump the Snake River Canyon? And he, there was a long pause. And all he said was, do you know who the hell I am? And I, I, uh, I say that to my wife once in a while when she asks me, like, why did you do that? And that happens fairly often. And I just look at her and go, do you know who I, who the hell I am? And, and it's kind of the same thing with the Yamaha logo, not only with the fact that it's Yamaha, but you know, Paul, as well as anybody I have, I'm absolutely obsessive compulsive about everything in my life. And my God, if I had the wrong logo on my arm, that thing would have been gone. Well, it wouldn't even appeared on my, my arm. But, you know, the funny thing about it is um, I've had it on there for a while and I got it. I mean, I, I, I am very fond of that brand, but it's pretty high up on my, it's actually way up on my shoulder, really high about where you said a mom or an anchor would go. And I did that on purpose. I always thought, well, you know, it's kind of under my shirt and I don't go to the beach. I don't go to the pool. I don't take my shirt off. Let me put it that way. And I'll never forget when I got the logo, even with Pam, my wife, it was like a week before, no, it was a couple of weeks, I think, before she even knew I had it because just when I would, you know, that, doesn't that sound weird? I mean, we do sleep in the same bed and I do sleep without a shirt on, but I kept going, getting in bed, like by having my left shoulder, which is where it is to, opposite of where she was. So one day, the funny thing is that she discovered it because one day I got out of the shower and was walking in the, in the bedroom and she was hiding in the closet. Now this is this, this is what she does. I mean, she was going to jump out of the closet and scare me. Well, she jumps out of the closet to scare me. And before she even got the scare part out of her, the boo or whatever out of her mouth, she said, what's that on your shoulder? So she knew what it was obviously, but, but, oh yeah, Paul, I mean, that thing has got, it is so precise. You wouldn't believe it. When I went there, went to see the lady about the tattoo, I made sure there's actually in the center of the logo, there's actually a hexagonal shape to it. And it just happens to be the way the three, three tuning forks come together. Um, but I, I'm so fanatical about that logo that there was a long time where like when I would see it sometimes happens that teams will put not only the wrong, well, they'll put the wrong symbol on the bikes, but they also put the wrong logo type, the lettering, the M is different, as you know, as you discovered the descending part of that M in the middle of the, the logo type, the name Yamaha doesn't descend all the way to the baseline for the music logo. And the reason, because it's M for music, obviously. And then there's a fairly, not a real subtle difference on the logo type, the tuning forks that I have, but it's enough so that it just jumps out at me. And, and, you know, teams will get graphics kits or whatever from who, you know, I know, I know for sure, Chris Cruzel with uh, drip and wet always gets it right. But there are some teams I'm like, that's not even the right logo. And I see it on a bike or on leathers and I, it just, you know, it drives me nuts that they don't have it right. And I'm thinking, well, Paul had a good story. Um, I got in an argument one day with a Harley guy because I didn't think he was using his um, front brake enough when I saw him in traffic. So at any rate, Paul, um, I got in a little argument with him and I went to I went to show him my tattoo and you had the perfect line about what I probably should have or might have said to the guy. And what was it again? I don't remember. Oh, this is where you said, hey, you want to see my baby grand? 
That's you said right. that when we were at that ridge, and it's like it's so funny because it's like the guy actually, I don't think the guy I did show him my tattoo and say, Hey, I, I ride too, you know, and I don't think he even knew what the hell the logo was. But at any rate, I accept your apology, and I can't believe it even came up. And the funny thing is, I don't really show many people the thing, especially now that I'm with Moto America, because one of the things I discovered working in, with Moto America is. I used to be pretty brand loyal, but it, it isn't about the brand for me anymore. It really, these riders can ride anything and, and these teams can work on anything. And I still care about the brands and the motorcycles and like them a lot, but it's really expanded my mind. Moto America has got me to be a fan of just motorcycles in general. And these riders, I used to care who they rode for. Now, now I don't. Now it's just, you know, the personalities of riders, whoever they ride for, I'm I, you know, as I say, I, I say, I love everybody, every rider and every person in the paddock. I love that guy. I love that guy, but uh, it doesn't matter if they're Yamaha or not anymore. It's, it's open. So, so I'm okay that pe people think I have the wrong logo on there because I'm not quite as logo, uh, uh, I guess, loyal as I used to be, but. Well, two things come way. out of this, two things come out of this conversation. A, I can't believe you had the balls to get a tattoo without telling your wife. <laughs> And B, I picked the wrong guy to uh, <clears throat> to actually think that he would have the wrong logo. So, oh yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's cool. It's good that you have it. I don't, um, I don't have any tattoos, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 cool. And 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 anyway, I apologize for having that wrong. So, what do we want to talk about next? I want to talk about Moto America. What do you want to talk about? Well, two things. I want to talk about we. Um... I don't know if our, our fans or the fans of, of Off Track with Crothers and Bice know that a lot of times when we go to our race weekends, we get an Airbnb and we, we all get together and it's a little bit like a frat house. But, you know, one of the things I realized, Paul, is, you know, as, as everybody knows with you in Southern California and me in Ohio, it really does make a difference when we're together and we're in the same room or whatever. I mean, being face to face, it, it just it's, it, it is better. I mean, no amount of being on our communication system, which is Slack or phone calls or meetings makes up for face-to-face -face type, type stuff, because it's that, it's that idea that, especially with you, you have a, a an acerbic wit. Um, it's dry. It's, you got to be looking at you sometimes to realize. <laughs> sometimes I'm like, damn, you know, I bet you that would be different if I saw him face-to-face, because sometimes I'm It might've like, actually been funny. Right. Well, funny, or it's like not quite as cutting as it seemed to be. And it's not, and I, and I know it's, it's so funny how when we get at the end of a day, when we both get tired and we get motivated because we're cranking out these race reports and everything, and you get kind of giddy to the giddy and also you whiny at the same time. Right. So I'm like, damn, I'm glad he's right here with me because otherwise I'd be like, I'd be like, that's so I actually have felt that sometimes you probably even detected that it's like, if you're not right there and I don't see you, sometimes I don't get your deal. So. <laughs> right. And no, but, and I'm the first to admit at the end of those Friday and Saturday and Sunday nights, I've, it's been a long day and uh, I get a little edgy. And and like you said, we, we all start to get a little giddy after a while, which is kind of fun. But uh, it is that, funny. It, it's all good. But, uh, those media centers on those uh, on those late nights are can be it, it's funny because somebody always ends up fighting with somebody it's usually me and tucker but um <laughs> if you would just pack his shit up a little quicker i'd leave him alone but you know how that goes 
Yeah. So we've got, we've got three videographers that work together and we've got you and me and, you know, Brian Jay's always over there uh, processing his billion photos and we always, he's, he's getting it done and we're, we continually are amazed at how he is able to do it because he's been out there all day. And, and uh, so sometimes I'll, I'll sit there and go, man, this is just a, a, you know, absolute struggle from beginning to end. But, um, but to see him, it always kind of inspires me. Like, you know, he just cranks it out all the time. So, and, you know, uh, other journalists are like that too. I mean, I know that David Swartz has to do a lot with road racing world too. So it's like a big family in there. It's, it's a great group, but I, there's nothing like being face to face. And, and the interesting thing about, you know, when we were at Ridge Motorsports Park, um, it's so different for me and I'm sure for you too, the, the, the environment there, but the cool thing is we've got one this weekend off and then we're right back at it at Laguna, which, you know, is, is both of our, one of our favorites for sure. Um, West coast is weird for me, Paul. I mean, do you have this situation when you come East where it, for me, when I come back home, it's weird for me for a while when you get, when you travel East and go back West, you're, 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 um, you're going back in time by three hours, but do you get the jet, do you get the jet lag going home or coming out? Um, it's a little bit of both. When I go out that way, usually like the first night, it's hard for me to fall asleep. Yeah. Then I end up staying up so late. It kind of rectifies everything the next day. Cause I'm so tired. Uh, he staying out here obviously doesn't have a time change difference to me um so it's it's a lot easier but and then when i come home from the east i you know i just have to make sure like that first night i don't fall asleep at eight o'clock or something ridiculous and then usually i'm okay but i kind of get used to it and it just depends how long you're in in, in each place we're usually there like wednesday through monday yeah so, you know you kind of start to get to the point where you're used to the new one and then you got to go back to the old one but shit it's only three hours i mean these guys that do um you know, worldwide trips. I mean, those are really difficult when you start going to Australia and things like that. But so we have it pretty good. But uh, yeah, there is, it takes a little different. It takes a little getting used to. And when I come home, it takes me, you know, a couple of days to get back to normal. Yeah. And you know, it's, you mentioned that about people that go to Australia or whatever, or around, around the world where it's a different day when they get there. And it's not quite that way with Danilo Petrucci, but you know, one of the things I talked to him about at Ridge is he had kind of given us an indication that he was going to be going back to Italy uh, a couple times in the beginning of the season, but as the season wore on, he wouldn't be going as much. And um, he's, he's admitted that he's gone back home more. Um, it's the adjustments a little bit different for him. Although he did say between Ridge and Laguna, he's not going to go home. But um, by the same token, I mean, I, I think it's interesting that he needs to get that home base thing. And he seems to be quite a bit of a homebody. I mean, that's something we found out about him, don't you think? Yeah. And I think, I mean, a lot of the, I think his schedule somewhat changed when he got injured at the IR. Right. I think that kind of want, he wanted to go home and get treated by his people and stuff like that. And I think that kind of, you know, that, that took away whatever possibility he was going to have of staying here after VIR. So I think, you know, some of that's caused him to go home a little bit more than what he originally planned. But I also think, you know, from talking to him, we had, we had him on the, the, the podcast, you know, yes. at the Ridge. Um, and again, I recommend anybody who, 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 who likes podcasts and likes Petrucci and likes motorcycle racing that they give that one a listen. Cause I, I thought it was really I thought it was really good, not just because we did it, but because um, I thought he had a lot to say and I thought he opened up and you get a real sense of his personality and 
you know, you realize why some of the things that he does, uh, the reason he does them. I mean, he he's he was really open about talking about, you know, what makes him tick. So it was good. But yeah, I think um, I think going forward, I think he knows that he'd probably be better served if he got comfortable here and stayed here between the races. And, you know, it all comes down to where you are and, and what you got going on. I saw um, on social media yesterday, he's actually out here in California and was riding motocross at Glen Helen, which I know that's something that he he really enjoys. So as long as he doesn't hurt himself, I'm sure that'll make him, uh, that'll make him happy. And he goes into Laguna, you know, refreshed and no jet lag and all that stuff. Yeah. You know, it's, it's strange. So at the beginning of the year, we met him, talked to him, liked him a lot. Then we had the situation with uh, a VIR and we were kind of wondering like, what the heck is going on? And then we had him on the podcast and I think you feel the same way I did is he was just a delight on that. And he, he admit openly admitted, you know, he gets frustrated sometimes and takes it out on the, on the track. And then there was that situation with, with Matthew and him. And Finger gate. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, exactly. And even amidst that, I don't know if you felt the way I did. I think maybe you did though, just in light of what he told us, I, I felt different about him. Even, even with that, I thought, okay, I think he realizes that was a mistake. And I also think he's frustrated and you know, Matthew, Max Flinders is probably more upset than Matthew because he, he had bent his, his handlebars and Max is on such a, a, a tight budget um, but Matthew almost kind of laughed it off a little bit. I don't really feel like even within Westby racing or within Matthew Skoltz, Matthew's kind of the one in the, in the bullseye for Petrucci, but I don't really feel like it's a, a heated thing, even between either of them. Um, even though that was a weird situation, I didn't feel as bad towards him as, as I did with the whole VAR thing. Were you the same way? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, what I think everybody has to realize is like, this is this is their livelihood and this is everything to them since they've been little kids and they're at a point now where they're under a lot of pressure they're under a lot of pressure to win races or under a lot of pressure to win championships and and the thing with Danilo that day was he uh, he just had a horrible day and yep. that was the end of a horrible day and you know his uh, his bike had broke he had him he missed he missed half a session they bring out the other bike the clutch goes bad i mean he's sitting there you know i was watching him i was down by his pit and he's sitting there you know with his helmet and leathers on takes them off puts them on takes them on puts them off and it just you could just tell like he it was just a frustrating day and then he went out and i don't know who started it but it was like he, he either he tried to follow uh, Skultz or Skultz tried to follow him and neither of them were having any of it and so they pull over the other guy go by they pull over the other, you know it, was, it looked like a moto three qualifying session and, and and then what happened is you know Matthew passed him on after the checkered flag and you know I mean I would tell Matthew to his face and I think maybe I have I mean he he, he, he realized, I think that he's getting inside this guy's head and he kept yeah. pushing and pushing and he passed him at speed. And I looked at the video and he's, you know, four feet away, five feet away. It's not, it's not, it's not the closeness of it. It probably just startled him a little bit. And that combined with all the crap that had just happened to him, it just caused him to react negatively and, and everybody saw what he did. And, you know, this, that kind of stuff has been going on for, since the beginning of, time with motorcycle racing or any kind of racing or any kind of sporting activity but the thing is in this day and age 
everybody sees it. You know, if that was, if that was, if that was 10 years ago in an AMA Superbike race or 15 years ago, no one would have seen it. And one of the guys would have gone to the other guy's pit and said, Hey, what the hell are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And it would have been the end of it. But now, you know, it's, we, we have video clips of it. The world has video clips of it. Everybody sees it. Everybody comments about it. And it just turns into something that, uh, it's probably a little bigger than, than what it is for the guys actually involved in it. But, you know, he knows, he knows he did wrong. I mean, all the screw up, believe me, if I got to this, if I was in the situation he was in or any of those guys, the pressure they're under, I'd probably freaking implode once a race, you know, oh, yeah. everybody would want to totally. kill me. But um, yeah. so I think, you know, everybody just has to take a step back and realize what it means to these guys and realize the pressure that they're under, the pressure the teams are under you know, the manufacturers, it, the thing, it just runs really deep. Uh, there's a lot of people involved from, from a mechanic to the racer to everybody in between. And these things happen sometimes and you just kind of got to move on. And, you know, I think it was handled fine. I, you know, they, he was, he was docked a couple positions um, on the grid and he got two penalty points against his record and we'll move forward from that and, and, and go on. I mean, you have to have a penalty for it because it's not right. But I don't think it's, you know, it's not the end of the world by any means. Yeah. And, and here's Danilo Petrucci sitting first place in the Superbike stand, Medallia Superbike standings right now with 11 points over this guy named Jake Gagne, who is starting to do Jake Gagne things, has been doing Jake Gagne things. But it just seems like a, a bit of a it's just a matter of time. I mean, uh, he's 11 points back. He was back further than that. He obviously leapfrogged Matthew at uh, at um the ridge and here he is just feeling like he's gonna just get that take that championship again nothing against petrucci i'm sure petrucci agrees and and sees him coming too and realizes it and it's almost like you don't know how to how to prevent it or something he's just clicking him off and the guy is the most chill human being in the world i, I don't know how he does it but um it's got to contribute to his ability to do what he does because he is so calm about everything but you're probably do you think if you were to predict the end of the season do you think it's going to be Gagne yeah um yeah. I just you know if you go out and and, and again that, back to the the previous subject I mean the other thing is is Petrucci sitting in that pit he's never been to that track before he's losing track time and you know, you, you look and you see Jake Gagne's a second and a half faster than you. Yeah. And you're just like, um, you know, it, it's just gotta be banging your head up the wall be, on the, against the wall because you can just, you, I think all those guys just have knew this was going to come and now it's here. But if you just go out on the track and watch those guys, it, it's Jake is just saying he's at another level is a little, you know, a little too much, but man, he's, he seems to be just on a little different level. He, he looks so comfortable. He looks so fast. He just, everything he does looks good on the motorcycle. He's got good style. And we, it's funny. Cause I remember way back, I mean, I always loved his style, the way he rode. It's kind of like a little bit motocrossy, you know, he's got his elbows out and, and I, he's real loose on the bike and stuff. And I, I've always thought he looked good, but now he just, he looks incredible. And obviously the team works well together and believe it or not, he actually had some, he's had some issues early in the year. And, and, you know, I don't think he, it wasn't until road America that they sorted some things out to make him get him back to the comfort level. He was the year before uh, you obviously, you, you know, my question to him is why didn't you just leave the bike the way that it was when you win 17 races or what have you. Right. But, 
you know, they're always trying new things to try to actually get faster. I mean, it's not they can just they can't just rest on their laurels because he knew everybody else was going to step up. So I think they just tried some things and and that didn't work out as well as they thought. Um, but then, you know, they kept working at it. And, and at Road America, he got the bike to where he was extremely comfortable. And then from there, it's been, you know, um, he didn't he didn't have the best results at Road America because of some different things. But you could see the speed was there. And then obviously it's carried over and he seems to be well on his way again. And no, it would be it would be very hard to bet against him. Um, you know, not winning this championship. Uh, I don't think he's going to do like he did last year where he just wins the rest of the races. Um, you know, Petrucci's a tough character. And again, he doesn't make many mistakes and he, they're working on getting that bike to where he can feel more comfortable on it. And when they do, um, you know, it would be very easy for him to, to skip up to that, to that Gagne level. Yeah. And I mean, we've talked about this before, but that bike is actually quite different than the one last year. It's not the bike that Loris Baz had at all. It's quite a few differences with it. And so, and it's, it's, you know, new, new to Danilo, but new to the team too. But so they're, they've got some, have had some teething pains with it, but that's a, obviously a seasoned and very good crew and his input that he provides is really good too. So you're right. He is going to do some stuff. Um, but you know, the, the, the thing this year, is man, the numbers are close together. The championship's pretty tight. Even, you know, Matthew Skoltz uh, went back to third, but he's still in the hunt um, for sure. Another one I wanted to ask you about, Paul, do you think Cam Peterson's riding the best he's ever ridden this year? Yeah. I'm, I mean, it's hard. Yeah, I would say he is, but but that's a combination of of him being on the team that he's on, riding the bike right. that he's on too. I think it's a right. comfort level. And I think he's only going to get better. Uh, I think he's pretty smart about realizing what his situation is this year. Uh, you know, he doesn't, he's, he's not getting in over his head. He's ridden well. He's, he's won a race. Uh, he's got several podiums and he realizes at this point in time, he's probably not Jake Gagne, but I also think in his mind, and that's the way you have to think is that he thinks he can get to that point. He's just going to take him some more time. Yeah. And I mean, you think about Jake a couple of years ago. I mean, Jake, we knew Jake was a great rider. And in that team and with that bike, I mean, Jake has ascended to, you know, Cameron Bobier level of smoothness and talent and, and race wins. And it's kind of like, you know, Cam, Cam could could do that too. And Jake, Jake had a couple uh, some issues a couple of years ago. So, I mean, it's certainly a testament to that team, how do, how well they do. And certainly they're in fact that it's a quasi Yamaha factory team, but Yamaha's still very involved. Some of the, their people were, were at Ridge and are, there's somebody represented representative of Yamaha at every one of their rounds. So there's always somebody involved, but you know, it's obviously Richard's team and, and the stuff that they do is, you know, really good. And we, we can't say enough of course about John Cornwell and what he's done with Jake Gagne. And the fact that John Cornwell is such a good crew chief, aside from being a guy that we've known to be a good racer as well as an amazing suspension guy too. But um, I've been really impressed with him over the past couple of years. I know you have too. We did that podcast with him and one of the best we've, we've ever done. So he just, he's, he does a good job with Jake and you even see it on inside Moto America in pressure to rise. I should say the pressure to rise program that, you know, you see him talking and he's got, he's got a lot of insightful things that are, is fun to watch on there. Um, but it's a good crew chief and Danilo Petrucci's crew chief's really good too. That Maurizio Perlini, he's been yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah, really good guy, really 
kind of kind of very responsive to us, um, but obviously understands that handling the guy as much as the bike and that that idea of you have to be a people person and a, and a technical guy too. And, um, you know, but but all those crew chiefs are kind of that way. I mean, I, I can say that, you know, Ed Sullivan does a good job with Matthew. Um, I heard something interesting about Matthew Skoltz. So they've got a different data guy that, there and I, I'm not going to um, cover up the fact that it, it's Vito Bolognese. He's a good, really good friend of mine, as, as you know, Paul, and I know you know him well. Um, he's back in our paddock again. He's he works for Morelli in Detroit, but he's been involved with Yamaha. He's been with Ducati. Uh, he knows most of the guys on the Ducati team. He, he was with Ducati uh, year before last, um, worked with that team. Or was it last year? No, it was last year he worked with them. He was a consultant for them. So he knows what he's doing. And he said something to me. Um, I talked to him after this round and this is kind of cool, Paul. He said two things to me that I know, but to hear somebody say it um, is interesting about Matthew. Matthew carries more lean angle than, than almost anybody he's ever seen race. That's, that's kind of what Vito wow. said. He said his lean angle is crazy. He said his lean angle is crazy and his kind of on and off the throttle is so abrupt that it's almost like, he needs intervention that he didn't have a couple of years ago. They didn't have a full suite of electronics, but he relies on that because he gets on and off the throttle very, uh, I guess I violently. So that's something that they really need to work with. And he trusts, I think he trusts his electronics so much that, you know, he's not going to high side that bike, even though he's got it leaned over, doesn't have a lot of tire on the ground. And, and, uh, but we see it, right. I mean, sometimes you think it's, just because Matthew's so tall and gangly, he looks like he's leaning over far, but it's actually true. So um, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that's kind of cool that he told you that stuff. But uh, yeah, I mean, Matthew rides hard and, you know, it's, I, I think that team does a really good job with what they have. Um, but, you know, obviously, I guess they, you know, I imagine they don't have as much as the, as the Yamaha team, the factory team has. It's, you know, it's, you can tell some of those guys in the paddock, um, you know, it's like, I, I always think of Stan Bowley with this, but it's like, if you gave him $10 to spend on racing, you know, he'd spend 12 if that's what it took to win. <laughs> and, you know, I think there's some guys in the paddock, you know, you give them 10 bucks and they put five in their pocket and right. spend the five on the team. And, and that's, I mean, it, you know, I think you just got to go into, into motorcycle racing, knowing that it's, it's going to be expensive, knowing guys are going to crash stuff and, and that's what it takes to, to, to have success. So it's, you know, it, it, they, you know, those top teams, they all, they all just do a good job. They just, you know, they're all a bit different and they all have to work differently. They all have different machinery. And back to that Ducati, I think it's just, I think it's one of those things when you get it right, it's probably unbeatable, but I just think it's a bit fickle. Right. Uh, you know, I, you know, you see people that have them or get them, um, you know, they struggle, they struggle to get, you know, into that little window where the bike wants to be and where it works the best. And that's what I think the team HSBK team is doing now is trying to get, you know, get that thing to the point where it's as racy as it should be. And I think at that point, we don't, you know, what Kripchuchi's capable of. I don't think we've seen the best of him yet. So we'll just have no, to see what happens with it all. Yeah, I don't think so either. And, and he definitely said that you know, since he's raced at Laguna, he's looking forward to that track that it's one he hasn't been, I think he said 2013, he hasn't been there in a while, but at least he knows which way it goes and what it's all about. So, you know, we'll have to look to see where he's at with that. But, um, you know, another, another 
team and a writer. And I was talking to, uh, it sounds like I'm name dropping right now and maybe I am, but uh, right. I was talking to Michael, Michael Kiley, who's the owner of uh, Tightler Cycle Racing. And man, that guy is all in. I mean, to, to be from last year, he, he sponsored basically Larry Pegram Racing, that, a Ducati V4R at uh, Road America. This year, I mean, the guy's got two, two teams. Um, he's got obviously Hector, Barbara and, uh, PJ Jacobson on the Tytler cycle racing team. And then he's, he's ha- part owner of the Tytler cycle, right? HVMC that has Corey Alexander. And, uh, why am I losing my mind here? Oh, Ta- Travis Wyman. And, and then also Zach, Zach Schumacher who races stock 1000 and super bike cup. I mean, that's a lot of riders. I mean, the guy, they're really all in and to see that footprint that they have in the paddock, and Hector is quietly doing his thing and he's in fifth place. So, um, you know, he's right up there too. It's, it's, it's a pretty good testament for first year for that team. And, 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 you know, new bike that BMW is, is a, a high strung motorcycle too, I guess you could put it that way. So um, I'm glad to see that. Yeah, they're doing really well. <clears throat> and I don't know if that, I don't know, if, I, I don't know much about that motorcycle, but I have a feeling maybe it's not high strung. I have a feeling that it's more like in the Yamaha realm of things where, you know, I think it is. If yeah. You, if you and I bought, if you and I went out, that's the thing. If you and I went out and bought an R1, or if you and I went out and bought a Panigale V4R, I think, and we did track days with it, I think we'd instantly go faster on the Yamaha because it would be more comfortable and easier to ride. Right. But I think that maybe if we got to the point where we actually knew what we were doing with tuning the motorcycle, maybe at some point we'd be faster on the Ducati. But I think that's kind of how it works. And I, I would, I probably, I haven't ridden BMWs in a long time, um, but I kind of put them in more into the Yamaha category as far as, you know, at least, you know, you know when you go buy one, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty smooth and easy to, easy to ride. Well, they're super fast. That's for sure. I think, I think what I'm pointing out more is this, this fact that they put these electronics on them and they're, those guys, you know, it's a, it's a big task to get the electronics to work right with the, the bike in that M model still fairly, fairly young anyway. So I think they might, you know, have been working things through with that, but um, it's funny. We talked to, to Hayden Gillum a little bit, who's racing in Superbike as well for disrupt racing and, and is doing real well in stock 1000 he's got a bike that he basically doesn't have any electronics at all. They kind of turned everything off. Isn't, isn't that kind of accurate to what he, he told us? Well, at least he turns off the, 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 the launch, control. launch control stuff because he just, I mean, he's messed it up so many times. He's better off just going old school and turning it off. And um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just different. Like you have a guy like you have a guy like Matthew, for example, you know, with the information that you just told me. And that's a guy that just has grown up basically with motorcycles, with electronics, or at least adjusted to them really well and has the utmost faith. And then you have a guy like, like uh, Hayden Gillum, you know, he's a dirt tracker. He's this and that he's kind of old school. And he probably, he probably is at his best, you know, with minimal electronics, to be honest. Yeah. I, I have to repeat this. This made me laugh. I was talking to him in the paddock over the weekend and I, I, he, I don't even think I asked him this question, but he kind of gave me this answer. Like, yeah, you know, I, I've got a, I'm married now and I've got a baby. So, you know, he kind of implied like maybe he's not as aggressive as he had been. And then he has that crazy situation in, in the stock 1000 race where um, he almost, uh, 
took, you know, well, he went right across the track and um, I know he scored, scared Corey Alexander quite a bit, but they ride close enough together that it worked out. Okay. But Corey agreed that I, that he thinks he's still kind of going for it. So yeah, I think, I think what Corey tough. said in the press conference was kind of, was very accurate. It's like, you know, when you're in the situation that Hayden's in or any new father or any father for that matter, you know, you might not take, you, you might take, not take the extra risk to get, to go from fourth to third. But when somebody's, when, when you've got an opportunity to win a race and keep your lead in the championship or, or what have you, you know, that I, I think a lot of that stuff goes out the window. Like, you, you know, the thing is too, people always say, well, oh, you know, they've got a kid and it's slowing him down and this and that, you know, you always have to, I always think to my dad and you know what he did and, and he had kids and yep. it, I mean, it's just more mouths to feed and you've got to make more money and you've got to, I mean, the results are more you need the results more than you do if you're if you're by yourself absolutely you yeah. got more to pay for you know so yeah it's kind of i think people react differently but i think motorcycle racers um i think once they put their helmets on you know everybody's a young single guy and you know everyone else be damned we're going for it so yeah i i want to talk about i was thinking about this before we did the podcast today is i like I don't know if we always officially award it or announce it, but I was thinking like, okay, who would be the rookie of the year? And then one of the, one of the riders that I never even considered is Danilo Petrucci. He's technically a rookie in our, our series, which is a little odd. So I, I, obviously he would be hands down rookie of the year, but I hadn't really thought of him. I was thinking more of um, a couple guys, Richie Escalante. He's been fairly quiet this year, but he's top, He's sixth in the in the uh, standings, and it is his first year for sure. He's doing okay, but he's actually also Ashton Yates has done pretty well. I mean, especially lately. And you had pointed out in your report from uh, Ridge that I think on Sunday that was his first crash all year, Ashton on that bike. So he's definitely salvaging the equipment that Shabby Racing has to work with. But I don't know. I mean, Richie Ashton, you know, would you even consider Daniela Petrucci a rookie? No, I think when you come in with a resume like he's got, you can't um, do it. It just yeah. doesn't. It doesn't equate to being a rookie. Right. Um, you know, it'd be like you know, if Valentino Rossi came over, would he be a rookie? <laughs> I mean, it's like you know, at some point you just have to. I, I think a true rookie. I mean, obviously Richie Escalante is a true rookie. He's moving up from class. I think he's he's doing really well, but I think he's also showing what a big jump it is because his super sports success was, you know, unbelievable champion and then, you know, runner up and won a ton of races and obviously was one of the two guys to beat in that championship. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's a true rookie and, and I think his results have been good, but I think he's also, they probably don't seem that good to him because he's probably a bit impatient as most of those guys are. But I think if he, you know, he'll get things sorted out. He's just got to, you know, keep plugging away. But yeah, I would, I would say that he would be, um, you know, he would be my top rookie in that, in that class, as far as looking at, at what people have done based on their experience level. And, you know, talking about that vision wheel and for X-Star Suzuki team, it was such a bummer about Jake Lewis breaking his thumb. And it was a weird crash for, for hopefully uh, the listeners have seen it. We've put it up on social media where it's been on our live plus or any of our, our replays of, of the racing. But 
I, for him to come out of that breaking his left thumb seemed so odd to me. He, uh, he looked like he was the right side of him and he went like right across the track. And this seems to happen so often when these guys go down, they go in between bikes and it always is like, well, that could have been a lot worse than it was. And I'm not trying to uh, lighten the fact that he ended up with two broken bones in his thumb. That's bad enough, but uh, it's just a bummer about him because, you know, he's such a good guy and a leader in that team. And, you know, it's, uh, they had to put, they had put David Anthony on the bike on Sunday and are planning to, you know, figure out what they're going to do for uh, Laguna and haven't decided yet. I don't think, or maybe at least hasn't, haven't announced it, but you know, we're, we're so happy that Jake is, you know, we, we've chronicled it before. He was on the couch and, mow, and mowing his lawn or whatever. And, and, you know, he's full on now. And now he has this situation with the injury, but hopefully he'll be back sooner than later. Yeah. He's, he's good guy to have in the series and he'll be back. It's, he's so low key and mellow. It's like, he's not freaking out about anything. He's like, you know, it makes sense for me to come. He, he really likes Pittsburgh, you know, and he's always done well there. So That's right. Um, I think, it, you know, he, he can be satisfied to know that like he, he can just get himself healed up and start going to places that he really enjoys. He said he likes Laguna, obviously, but that's, you know, you got to take that out of the, out of the mix here. But uh, let's talk a little bit about um, our young female racer that had quite the little weekend there oh. in, uh, in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. I mean, she turned 15 on Friday, Kayla Yakov and in some ways, I almost wish it wasn't her birthday. It, I don't know. I'm sure it had nothing to do with the fact that she turned 15, but it was kind of interesting. She turned 15. She led the Sunday morning warm-up session and felt pretty good about that. And then she goes and wins the race on Sunday. And I thought, I mean, it's cool enough that it's 15-year-old and female and all that, but heck, she could have been, you know, she's she's barely 15, more more 14 than anything. But what a, what a delight and absolutely beloved by everybody in the paddock, fans, riders riders uh, in her own race class as well as obviously as as we saw the superbike riders paid attention and and love the story about her and it's not just because she's female she's a terrific kid i mean she really is and she loves the sport she's so well spoken and she just has the whole package at such a young age that it, it really aside from the fact that she's female just somebody that age that's a road racer is a delight to see yeah she's awesome i mean i knew you know, we had that press conference on Saturday and I asked her about the bike because I, I kind of overheard her talking about the fact that she wasn't happy with, with the setup. Um, you know, but she, you can tell she like, she, I think she has a good understanding of, of what it takes, what, what the motorcycle needs and what she needs. And I think she's able to tell that to her crew, which, you know, for any 15 year old, that's, that's impressive. And I don't boy, girl, whatever. It's like, she's a pure motorcycle racer. She understands it. You can tell she has a sense of the history of the sport. And, uh, you know, there's a reason that, you know, there's, there's when you watch a few people win, like when Josh Hayes won, for example, this year, I mean, at VIR, I mean, there's certain people who win or do accomplish certain things and everybody in the paddock is happy. Even the guys they beat. Right. The girls they beat. And right. this was one of those moments where, you know, everybody knew it was coming. Uh, you know, we had that issue at Road Atlanta where she got docked uh, and, and, and the victory was taken away from her. So we, we all knew it was capable. It was very she was very capable of it and that it was going to happen. It was just a matter of when. Uh, and, and it happened then. And I mean, what, what you know, it, she's only I think she's eight points away away from being in the lead in the championship. And if yeah, you look at the results, yeah. I yep. mean, she's, she's racing at the front every week. This isn't yep. some one-off 
you know, it was, you know, hailing or it was raining or everybody else fell off or that. I mean, this is what she does every race. She competes with these guys. And this time she basically went out and, and, you know, she held her own for every single lap. It wasn't, nothing was gifted to her, which is what I liked about this victory. Uh, and, and, and it's cool because, you know, the, the guys that were with her on the podium and in the press conference had nothing but nice things to say about her. And, and they said that, you know, that nothing could have changed the outcome. She was just better than them on that day. And, and that's kind of how you want somebody to get their, their first win. And, and she did that. And, you know, we'll go to Laguna Seca and she'll run at the front and she'll run at the front for the rest of the year. And she's got as good a chance as being champion in that class as anybody else. So, you know, yep. kudos to her. She's, and, and obviously we love her because, you know, she is, like you said, she's very well-spoken. She's very polite she's willing to do any media stuff that we need her to do and she enjoys it and she does a great job. So she's the, she's the full package. Yeah. And on top of that, of course, there's the fact that she has, uh, she, she had crashed at uh, road Atlanta, I think it was, and she has a torn ACL and a torn MCL. Uh, so she has no stability in, in her leg and has a brace on it when she's not on the bike. And I asked her, like, how do you get your knee down? And she goes, I don't know. I just do it. And I think she just blocks it out of her mind and, and handles it. And she's going to have to have surgery at the end of the year to get that fixed, just like a football player would. And I know she's not running patterns or, you know, out, out carrying a ball in a football uh, field, but she's certainly exerting herself with a pretty significant injury in her leg and, and uh, just is making that happen. So that's, that's a, a kind of an asterisk or a footnote at the bottom of that, that, you know, she's riding injured and, and like, it's not even injured at all. So it's uh, she's tough, tough too, I guess you could put it. So. Yeah. And I mean, in closing it's, you know, this season has just been so good in every class. And I don't know. I mean, I, I would, I would tell everybody west of uh, Ohio to make the trip to Laguna Seca because it's, if you haven't been there, it's a wonderful place. It's a great part of the world. The racetrack's awesome. The races are always good there. And, you know, our championships, it's 11 point difference between first and second in the Superbike championship. It's, it's uh, just a two points between three riders in the junior cup that we talked about. Uh, you know, stock 1000 has turned into a battle. I think eight points between those guys there. Uh, it's just, and also, you know, that this, the baggers are back, which yep. the popularity of those is just exploded. We've got the hooligans and it's just yep. going to be, you know, you, you hate to say that any one of our races is the crown jewel because we have so many that are so good, but Laguna Sake always ranks up there as, as a don't miss event. So I, I, you know, I'm, I, I want to tell anybody that's even thinking about going to just, get on their motorcycle or get in their car or truck and start driving. Cause it's, it's definitely worth it. Yeah. It's going to be something to look forward to. And, and like you said, with baggers and hooligan there, it's, it's, we we're calling it a moto fest and it sure is. I mean, there's a lot, every, all the, all the championships are tight. Um, even in the ones that are only with us like baggers and, and hooligan um, at certain rounds, but we're going to, we're going to have a good time there. It's my favorite place to go. It always has been. Um, it's, it's going to be awesome. And, you know, I'm excited too, Paul, because we, you know, we saw what, what our, our main man, Wayne Rainey did over at the Goodwood uh, Festival of Speed, and he's going to be there. Uh, I can't wait to see him. And um, of course I got to calm down on the questions I need to ask him about the jetting on that bike because it was smoking pretty good, but uh, he handled it well. And just the fact that he sh up shifted with his 
thumb and, and downshifted with the clutch hand. I mean, I don't know how he figured that out and made it work, but it, that was so cool. And, you know, Schwantz and Dewan and, and Roberts and Danny Pedrosa and everybody was there on top of everybody else that we saw when, if you watch their feed or anything on our, our Moto America TV, I mean, there were so many racers from all over the world, past, present and future motorcycle, car, everything else that were there. And man, it was a proud moment for us to see our president and that three-time world champion, Wayne Rainey, making it happen like that. It was, it was something to see. Yeah, it was, it's funny because there's so much of it on social media and I could click on a video of him riding the bike now and I'd still get goosebumps. Oh yeah. It's kind of, it's, it's really weird. It's, I'm just so, I'm so happy for him because I know that it was, I I think it was something that he wanted to do for a long, long time, but just kind of always was like, oh, it's not possible. It's not this, it's not that. And I think he kept pushing it to the back of his mind, but it was always in the back of his mind. And then when he was able to do that stuff with the street bike and then Suzuka, I think that really hit him that like, hey, it would be possible for me to do it on my GP bike, which would blow away anything else that he's ever done. Um, and he, and he was able to pull that off. And I mean, that I know, I know he was, uh, I know it kept him busy and I know it was on his mind a lot before he went. And I know there was a lot of people that, uh, that helped him get to the point where he was able to do that. But I think it was just fantastic that he, that he did do it. And it's, it makes me proud of him even more proud of him than I always am. So, yeah. So he'll be at, so he'll be at Laguna at the track with a, a curve named after him, Rainy Curve, and um, he's obviously did so many great things at that track too. So um, he's going to be a conquering hero coming back in there as if he wasn't already. So it'd be great to see him there. That's another reason to come to Laguna Seca too. So um, we got lots of reasons to come there, and I think I want to mention too that. Um, I always want to put in a word about corner marshals. Um, some people think, oh, well, we're doing this because we, uh, you know, we're in desperate need of corner marshals. Well, we do need them, but we've always needed them. So, uh, you know, we're trying to help out as much as we can. And um, I'm going to, I'm getting, I'm going to do a story pretty soon with a testimonial from one of the guys that was a corner marshal up at uh, Ridge. And I, I just, I continue to say it's the best seat in the house and we've got rounds coming up back, back this way. We're going to be at Brainerd. We're going to be at pit pit race, uh, New Jersey and, uh, Barber and lots of chances to do corner marshalling. Um, and there's some paid options as well. Uh, if you've never done it before, it would be volunteer, but you, you'll, they'll put you on the grid to help out with things. And it's just, it's just great to be part of it and join our, us, um, and it's, there's a lot of camaraderie in our group and you, you guys can be part of that too. So I just wanted to get that in as well. But, um, Paul, I mean, we, uh, we did it just you and I, and, uh, you know, we're, we went through it and we still had a lot to talk about, but we're going to have to stop, I guess. So, yeah. And, uh, I want, you've only got a week to do this, but if I was you, I would just be doing one arm curls with like 20 pound dumbbells. And left arm, because think how many people now are going to come up to you at Laguna Steak and say, let me see that goddamn tattoo. (laughs) Hey, did you have anybody? I didn't ask you this. Um, I had a couple people come up to me at Ridge and, you know, they just said they listen to the podcast and stuff. We always have that happen. And it's so cool when the fans do that, because it really reinforces that what we're doing, people are paying attention to. So I, I enjoyed that. Just somebody out of the blue came up to me and it was just nice to have that. I know that happens to you quite a bit too. So. Well, it was funny. Cause I made one guy laugh because him and his buddies came up to me and he said, can I get my photo with you? And my response was why? 
Yeah, yeah, they did. Right? They made the same guys. They did it with me. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, what? They couldn't believe that I said that. But I, I honestly, I'm like, why the hell do you want a photo with me? But anyways, <laughs> I posed for a photo, and it, yeah, it is cool that we have some listeners in there. The ones we have are are truly into it, and uh, they're into the series. They're into what we're doing. So it's cool, yeah. and uh, yeah, we keep this thing going and get it to grow a little bit more. And and uh, yeah, it's fun to do, and it's it's always fun to talk with you, Sean. And yeah. You too. We'll get to Laguna Seca. We'll get stressed out and yell at each other again. So it'll be fun. There you go. That's what it's all about. All right. All right. We'll see you next week. Okay. Thanks, Paul.